Hey, we're, uh, we're in this series called Meet the Parents, and we're meeting the parents of Jesus, at least his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, and, and I do hope that you meet Jesus' heavenly father too. So we're talking about in this series how God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Last week, we talked about Mary, this ordinary, young, poor Jewish girl who is called to probably the greatest and most extraordinary thing that any human being has ever been called to outside of Jesus. God calls ordinary people to extraordinary things. And tonight I wanna focus on when everything seems totally crazy and out of control, kind of like the power going out or something like that. When everything seems nuts, how do you have the courage to keep on moving forward? For me, sometimes the most courageous or the most courage building things in my life come from the people who are around me. It's the people who I meet. You have this encounter and it changes everything about your life. Have you ever met someone and it just changed you? Last week, I talked about how when I was uh, proposing to my wife, when I was getting married to my wife, it was like this beautiful, incredible experience. I can also tell you, I will never forget the moment that I met my wife. I remember that she was wearing a black UNI t-shirt, gray sweatpants and Birkenstocks, and I was wearing Birkenstocks. Like it was just a mess made in heaven. I just knew I was wearing a gray sweatshirt and black shorts. I just will never forget the moment I met Abby Gardner. It changed my life. Have you ever met somebody who completely changed your life? Have you ever met somebody that you never thought that you would meet? And then you met them and it changed everything. Growing up, this was my favorite quarterback. This is Steve Young. Any 49ers fans out there, you know who Steve Young is? Anybody just know who Steve Young is? Okay, like he's Steve Young, but he's actually now, Steve is pretty old. But as a child, Steve Young was my favorite quarterback. If you've been to Kairos for more than like 20 minutes, you know I love me some Tom Brady. But Steve Young was my guy growing up. So for Halloween, I was Steve Young. You might think, oh, Danny, you were so much younger than the people around you in that picture. No, I was just really short and underdeveloped for a while. I had this 49ers jersey. I had this 49ers jersey one Monday night. I was in Tampa for another Tom Brady game because I have a problem. And standing in front of me, out of nowhere, out of complete surprise, is Steve Young. He was actually standing right there and I met him. And as you can tell, we didn't just talk. Like we just kind of, you know, we just kind of, encouraged one another. You know, I, I threw in that picture just so, you know, I wasn't bothering him. We were talking and I went up to him and I said, Steve, I was you for Halloween when I was six years old. And he goes, no way. And he's like, security, you know. No, he was so nice to me. I couldn't believe that I was meeting him. He was always this like far off distant hero figure, but like now I was meeting him up close and personal. It was nuts. It was insane. He said to me, how old are you now? I said, 30. He goes, oh, I'm so old. And I'm like, oh, you're so funny, Steve. <laughs> oh, I can't believe we're just getting along. I'm like, what's your phone number? <laughs> you know, and... So he's on the phone right now and can, I'm just kidding. No, we're not, not doing that. But it was incredible. Like this person, I was just like, I can't believe I'm meeting you. And in the Christmas story, we see how God is meeting people and people were totally shocked. Like we're privileged to live when we live in this age of Christianity, when we get to say, of course, God wants to meet people. But in those days, it was shocking. God was this far off distant character. To meet him would have been nuts. And this is exactly what happened for Mary and Joseph. The first people to meet God in the flesh, the first people to meet 
Jesus. You heard a little bit about this part of the story last week. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now, we talked about Mary last week, and now we're talking about Joseph. And Joseph was about to meet someone who would change his life forever and give him the courage to move forward when everything seemed insane. So who, who was Joseph? Well, I think that we have a misunderstanding of who Joseph is. And I think that if you just take a look at art, you would see we have a major misunderstanding of who, G, who Joseph is. When we talk about Mary, we're always like, okay, Mary was like this 15 to 16-year-old girl. And then in our minds, we're like, yeah, and Joseph was 55. Why would you even want that? Like, according to ancient Jewish custom, Mary probably was about 15 to 16 years old, but Joseph was probably about 17 to 18 years old. He wasn't an old guy. This is not what you should think of when you think about Joseph. It's creepy, it's gross, it's weird, and it's also not true. So let's take a look at the scriptures. Who do the scriptures say that Joseph was, the earthly father of Jesus? Well, we know a few things about him. The first one is, is Joseph was not from a rich place. We know this because when Joseph and Mary were traveling back to a place called Bethlehem, they had to go there because Caesar Augustus wanted a census. Caesar Augustus wanted to know just how many people listened to his commands. And so he wanted a census. He said, I need all these people to return to their hometown and there they will be counted. And then everybody will know just how many people worship me, bow down at my feet. And Joseph being one of the people who lived under Caesar Augustus's command, he went back to his hometown. Bethlehem. Now we hear Bethlehem today and we're like, oh, beautiful, quaint little Bethlehem. It's where Jesus was born. I bet it's this marvelous place. Bethlehem was a po-dunk town. It was poor. There was nothing special about it. When people thought of Bethlehem, it's like how we think of Iowa City. It's just not cool. It's awful. Sinners are from there. Stuff like that. They're not live streaming us tonight, can you tell? So he's, he's from Bethlehem. And then he also, he, he, he represented somebody from Bethlehem well. He wasn't rich. There was nothing spectacular about Joseph's lifestyle either. We know this because when, G, when Joseph and Mary went to the temple to dedicate Jesus and they offered the sacrifice as payment according to Jewish custom to the Lord to dedicate their son to God, it says that they, uh, they offered either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons were the absolute cheapest price that you could pay. And it was only reserved for the poorest people in their society. He was from nowhere. He had nothing. And then one day when Jesus was starting to claim who he was and, start, and word was starting to get out about him, people scoffed and said, Jesus, he's just the carpenter's son. There's nothing special about where he came from. There's nothing special about his family. There's nothing special about his dad. According to his time, Joseph was a nobody from a nowhere town. There was nothing special about him. This man with an extraordinary call had this, absolute, had this absolutely ordinary background. It's just Joseph. It's just the carpenter from Bethlehem. So why Joseph? Well, I mean, my goodness, why Joseph? You think about how crazy it was for God to show up in the world. You would think that God would show up in the world with Caesar Augustus, right? The one who can just tell people in the snap of his fingers, millions of people would migrate back to their home because they had to honor and worship and obey the commands of Caesar Augustus. And yet here's just plain old Mary and Joe, a poor young Jewish couple. Why them? Why is Joseph chosen for this? Why not Caesar 
I mean, you think about how misunderstood Jesus must have been at the birth, at the start of his life. Well, I think it's this. Misunderstood from birth, Jesus understands you. Jesus went into the margins to understand marginalized people. Do you feel misunderstood? Do you feel like people don't really know your full potential? Or do you feel like people give you too much credit because you really know yourself? Jesus understands you. From the very beginning of his life, he was misunderstood. His mom was the town joke. His father was the guy who couldn't make a very good living for his family. He's misunderstood. And in being misunderstood, Jesus understands you. And what did Joseph think about himself? Well, Joseph still gave it his best just because he was an ordinary person didn't mean that he didn't try in his life. It tells us this, that Joseph was a righteous man and he did not want to disgrace Mary publicly. See, Mary had just been told, you are pregnant with God's son, Jesus. Mary was engaged to Joseph. They weren't married quite yet. And can you, I don't even want to think about what that first conversation was like. When Mary goes up to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, just so you know, I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, that can't be me. It's not physically possible. What do you think he thought about her? Obviously, he must have thought that she was lying. Obviously, he must have thought that she cheated. And according to ancient Jewish law, Mary could be put to death for this. So being a righteous man, Joseph wanted to honor the law. That was wrong what she did in his mind. But at the same time, he's a gentleman. He's a righteous man. And so he decided that he would break things off quietly. He didn't want to ruin things for her. Now, do you notice how close Joseph was to missing out on the most important and crucial being to ever walk this earth? And why? Joseph almost stepped out of the relationship. He almost left Mary, and why? Because of his righteousness. Well, I'm a righteous guy. I need to do the right thing. I need to obey the law. I mean, I'm not gonna put Mary down in a horrible place, but my goodness, if I continue to associate with her, I know I'm not the father of this baby. I know that I didn't act unlawfully outside of marriage, but if I do associate with her, people are gonna think I'm a liar, that I'm the crook, that I acted out of marriage and I could be put to death. It was Joseph's righteousness that almost made him miss out on Jesus. I think this is important for every single one of us to know. Our righteousness can block our view of Jesus. It's not that Joseph was a bad guy for doing what he was doing. He was trying to be a good guy. But when we focus so much on what is it that I can do well? What is it that I can do right? Am I doing the good things or am I doing the bad things? And I'm just trying to do the right thing. Me, 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 me. When we focus so much on our own righteousness, we can miss out on Jesus. It is not your righteousness that brings Jesus into your life. It's his righteousness. It's not your perfection. It's his perfection. It's not your beauty. It is his beauty that the infinite God would become finite. Our righteousness can block our view of Jesus. So the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. Joseph's about to meet somebody crazy and wants to stop Joseph in his tracks. You've got to stop. So as Joseph is considering these things, it says an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, he was an ancient ancestor of King David. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. See, Joseph was telling himself, it's because I'm a righteous man that I can't do this. I'm just trying to be a good person. But the angel's actually calling out Joseph's trick, isn't he? 
Oftentimes we tell ourselves, I'm making this decision. I'm leaving out that person. I'm taking the easy way out, but my goodness, it's just the right thing to do. And the angel calls Joseph's deck. He calls his hand and he says, it's not because you're righteous that you're trying to walk away, is it? It's because you're afraid. You're tempted to be a coward in this situation, aren't you? And I don't blame you. You live in a society where it's very dangerous for you to take on this call. Don't be afraid, the angel says to Joseph. I know this is scary. I know this is the craziest thing that you will ever be called to do in your life. I know it'll ruin your life socially. I know that they'll reject you. I know they'll disdain you. I know they'll kick you out of their homes. I know your family won't believe you. I know that Mary's parents will look down on you for the rest of your life because they won't think you're telling the truth. Joseph, don't be afraid. Where do we find courage in that kind of chaos? When God's calling you to something big in your life and you just know it, I'm called to this. Jesus has, has welcomed me into a life with him and it's crazy and it's chaotic. Where do we find courage in chaos? Because Joseph's life was totally chaotic. I just wanna focus on a couple of things really quickly as we already start to wind down this sermon. Courage and chaos, where do we find it? Well, the first thing that we get to do when we look at the story of Joseph is we get to surrender control and we get to accept adventure. Go ahead and say surrender control. See, by surrendering control, you like, listen to me. That was, see how we did that? It's kind of cool. Now here, let's do the more fun one. Ready? Accept adventure. Accept adventure. Come on, say it like you're going on an adventure. Accept adventure. Accept adventure. Here's what the angel said to Jesus. You are said to Joseph, you are to name him Jesus. Now we can read over that and think that it's nothing. Well, of course, God would name his own son Jesus. But think of all the things that Joseph is already having to give up in his life. The one thing he still has control over in his life is naming this kid who's apparently going to be his son. See, in those days, to name somebody wasn't just to identify them, it was also to claim them, to make them part of you. And I wonder if Joseph's like, are you kidding me? I always had this dream. I was gonna name him Joey Jr. And it was gonna be great. And the angel says, you don't get to name God. God names you. Name him Jesus. Surrender control. And here's the adventure. He's gonna be on a mission to save people. And it'll be the wildest thing you've ever been a part of in your life. He will save people from their sins. See, when Joseph is being called into this crazy, extraordinary mission for his life to raise up God's son, he's asked to surrender control, but he's also asked to accept an adventure. So here's the adventurous part, ready? Joseph couldn't control Jesus. Any time that Jesus obeyed Joseph, that was God voluntarily saying, I will do as you say, because this is according to our custom and because I love you and I care about you. God doesn't have to obey people. But Joseph could not actually on his own control Jesus. There's a story in Luke chapter two that tells us about just how little control Joseph and Mary had over their own son. Every single year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Remember when we talked about the Passover festival during the worship series? This is something that Jesus and his uh, family celebrated. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as as usual. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. This was common every single year, but there was something extraordinary 
extremely special about this year at the age of 12. In the Jewish culture, when you turned from 12 to 13, you became an adult. So a boy would become a man, a girl would become a woman. And this was the last time that Joseph would walk the streets of Jerusalem with his son, Jesus, before he became a man. So according to ancient Jewish culture, Joseph would have actually like been walking the streets very carefully with Jesus' time. And he pointed out and said, okay, so we're carpenters. So this will be the street where you go and you get wood and you can build, th- build things. This is where you will go to the market and to sell what you've made. This is where you will go and you will celebrate the Passover feast. And as they're sitting around this table and they're celebrating the Passover feast, there would be this sacrificial lamb that represented God's sacrifice that he gave to his people to free his people from Egypt long, long, long ago. Joseph, caring for his 12-year-old son, is carefully walking Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem, through the Passover festival to say, this will be your life. I care for you. I want you to be set up for success. Here's where you'll buy your supplies to create from wood. Here's where you'll sell your things. And here's the table where we will celebrate what God has done for us through his sacrificial lamb. Joseph is caring for his son. He's trying to do all the things that a father should do for his child. And then... Three days, then as Joseph and Mary were walking, or Mary and Joseph were leaving Jerusalem after the festival, they realized they left Jesus in Jerusalem. Now you might be saying, well, that's nice. My parents didn't always take care of me the best. I mean, they tried their hardest, right? Well, Mary and Joseph, they lost Jesus, right? They lost God. (laughs) You had one job, Mary and Joseph. Care for this little boy, will you? Now, again, in ancient Jewish culture, it was common for the entire community to be walking as a family. So it was not uncommon for somebody else's parents to be looking out for Jesus. Like they would have just thought this is normal. But as they're walking, they're traveling back home. They're just, oh my, oh my goodness, Jesus isn't with us. We, we lost Jesus. And it tells us that three days later, they finally discovered Jesus in the temple. He was sitting among the religious leaders and all of them who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Just to let you know what's going on here, Jesus is sitting in front of all of the rabbis, in front of all the religious teachers, and he's teaching them at 12 years old. Do you know any 12-year-olds? Can you like think of yourself at 12 years old? Think of sixth graders, right? Can you imagine a sixth grader getting up in front of you at Kairos tonight saying, I'm gonna tell you all about life and it's gonna change your entire perspective. You'd be like, all right, your voice hasn't cracked yet. We're not going there. And yet it says that they're totally amazed. The word in the Greek that for, their, uh, for amazed there is flabbergasted. Isn't that great? They're just, I can't speak. But then it also says that his parents, well, they, they didn't know how to handle Jesus either. The religious teachers, they couldn't handle him. They're like, what's going on with this guy? He's out of control. And then it says his parents, well, they didn't know what to think. They were out of control. Son, why have you done this? Your father and I, we've been, we've been frantic, searching for you everywhere. What are you doing? You're supposed to listen to us. You're supposed to obey us. My goodness, don't you know we're on a mission from God to raise you? And Jesus responds as a 12-year-old boy. Imagine a 12-year-old saying this to his parents. Why did you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? My voice just cracked. Did you hear that? didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus just said that to Joseph. What do you think happened in Joseph's mind, in his heart, when he heard this boy that he's raised, this boy that he carefully guided through the streets of Jerusalem to tell him all about life, looks at him and says, 
my relationship with you is completely relative to my relationship with my heavenly father. I love you. And because I care for you, I've gone with you. It says just in the verse after that, that Jesus actually went with them. He obeyed them, but it was a gift to them. It was his own choice. They could not control him. If you can't control Jesus, what are we to do with him? What if we surrendered control to him and accepted the adventure of a lifetime that he's calling us on to? See, Mary and Joseph, they think, we've got to search for him. We've got to find him. But don't you know this? You don't have to look. You get to see Jesus. Why were you looking for me? I was safe, and I knew you were safe. I'm here in my father's house. See me right where I belong. I told you that on Monday night this past week, I was at the Tampa Bay game again, because I think I have an idolatry problem with Tom Brady. Um, and I'm working on it, and I repent of it, and I'm saying that publicly. <laughs> anyway, my mom, ha- my mom works for Southwest Airlines. So if you're wondering, like, wow, pastor, you're spending a lot to get down there. My mom works for Southwest Airlines. I fly for free. It's amazing. She's retiring in January, so please pray for me. I don't know what I'll do after that. <laughs> so my friend Andrew and I, we went down to Tampa Bay uh, to see Tom Brady play, and the game was going horribly, just awfully. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback to ever play. It's not debatable. No matter who your favorite quarterback is, he's not as good as my favorite quarterback. And there's no discussion about it. Not even Steve Young. Anyway, we're talking about Jesus tonight. We're watching the game. It's going horribly. According to ESPN statistics and information, with five minutes to go in the game, Tom Brady's team had less than 0.7% of a chance to win the game. They're getting beaten up. It looked awful. He can't complete any passes. Nothing is working. Then with about five minutes to go, the game changed. Now, right before then, I'm looking out at the crowd around me. And what should be a chaotic crowd looks like a depressed and deflated crowd. Everybody's disappointed. About half of the stadium left. Forget this. I'm not watching anymore. It's over. But as I'm looking over the sea of people, there is this one man standing in a green neon shirt in about row five, and he's going nuts the whole time. Do you ever feel really bad for the stadium? (laughs) Yes, that's him. Do you ever feel, his name's Brian, good guy. Do you ever feel bad for the stadium operators who are like putting those things on the screen the entire game? They're like, get louder, and the team's down by 58. Like, come on, raise the roof. And like, everybody's like, please stop. Brian was the one guy in the stadium who was like, yeah! Like he, I don't think he actually knows the game of football very well because when the Bucks were on offense, he's making the safety sound, the safety symbol. I think he thought he was like a shark on attack or something, right? But he's going crazy. They put on LMFAOs, I'm sexy and I know. Boom, 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 boom. And he's like raising his shirt. He's trying to get on the camera. He's just having the time of his life. He's starting chants, let's go Bucks! Let's go Bucks! And everybody's like, sit down! And he just has to be wearing a neon green shirt, right? Everybody sees him, everybody's fed up. Just stop it! He's like, no! And I'm watching him, I'm just entertained. The game wasn't entertaining, I'm entertained by him. But all of a sudden the game switched. It flipped a switch just like that. Out of nowhere, Tom Brady leads one touchdown and then he leads another touchdown drive and the Bucs are gonna win the game. It's nuts. It was the craziest moment of my life. Not quite as good as baptism. I'm telling you, it is not as good as baptism, but it was nuts. (laughs) 
I lost all control of my body. And as I'm looking down, I see Brian and he has his shirt off and he's just swinging it. I made eye contact with him and I, I, I actually screamed, I love you, I love you. And he's looking back at me and he's just pointing. We can't hear each other, we haven't met yet. We're just pointing at each other. We're bonded in community. Everybody in the stadium was telling him to shut up, to stop, because it was out of control. It was terrible. The game wasn't gonna work out. I'm telling you this, as much fun as I was having and as much fun as everybody else was having, nobody enjoyed the victory as much as him. Because when it was gone, when it was the opposite of chaos, when it was depressing, but he still believed, man, when it came true after that, he's like, I told every single one of you, like, put your shirt on, Brian. <laughs> and we like, I'm telling you, the last five minutes game, we just kept on making eye contact. So afterward, he came up to my friend Andrew, I mean, we got this picture together. <laughs> I love Tom Brady. I said, what, like, what got into you? What made you continue to believe? And he said, I saw my quarterback and I couldn't give up on my quarterback. Did you notice somebody else in this picture? That's Tom Brady. <laughs> Let me do a real quick Jesus juke. Are you ready? Because Brian saw Tom Brady was on his team, he still believed there was a chance. And time and again, over the last 23 years, Tom Brady keeps on proving, if I'm on your team, there's a chance. Jesus says, I'm on your team, we will win. I know it's chaotic, I know it's crazy. Stick with me, the end result's gonna be the same, but you stick with me now. Imagine the joy that it's gonna be when you experience the full victory in Christ, when he redeems everything that's gone wrong, when every sad thing becomes untrue. To have courage in Jesus means to see Jesus, to just see him. We don't have to look for him. He sees us. Show me the next slide. There we go. Courage in Jesus, or to have courage in chaos is to see Jesus. When you see Jesus, who are you seeing? Because I know it's not necessarily as simple as a football game. And thank goodness Jesus' life was not as simple as a football game. He's saving and redeeming the entire world right? So who are you seeing? Well, think back to the Jesus that Joseph saw. When he was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. And as Joseph is walking his son, his innocent 12-year-old son, through the streets of Jerusalem, he just sees his boy, right? He just sees his kid, Jesus, this is where you're gonna buy the wood to create for your craft. Jesus, this is the market where you'll sell the things that you've made to make a living. Jesus, this is the table where we'll celebrate what God's done for us. When Jesus was 12. But remember what Jesus said to Joseph. You are my earthly father, but I'm in my real father's home. I'm in my heavenly father's home. All of the relationships are relativized by this relationship with my heavenly father. And the text does not specifically say this, but I just have to think that as Joseph, who cares so deeply for this 12-year-old boy who he's called his son, and as he's walking him through the streets, I just imagine Jesus' heavenly father 
walking his son through the streets. In Luke chapter two, we see that Jesus is in Jerusalem for this Passover festival. The next time in the scriptures that we read about Jesus being in Jerusalem was when he was led in for his death. And to this 12-year-old boy, the God who became so vulnerable that he was almost the victim of an absent earthly father. God wouldn't let that happen. We see this 12-year-old boy, and as his earthly father would have been walking him on the streets, I just imagine that his heavenly father's walking him through the streets. Son, I love you so much. I love you more than anything. We've been together forever. I've always seen you through everything. Even before you were here as a child, we've been together, wrapped up in union, this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're so in love. It's not as if they're one. They actually are one. Listen, my relationship, my marriage with my wife, we're supposed to be so in love that we act as one. It's like we're one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are so in love, and it's perfect love. It's not as if they're one. They are actually one. That's how much the Father loves the Son. Three persons, but actually one God. And the Father is walking his Son, his own self, his Son, that he loves dearly through the streets of Jerusalem. And he says... where the carpenters purchase their wood. This is where they will make your cross. In the market where they sell their crafts, you will be the one sold for 30 coins. And as they celebrate the Passover feast and there's the sacrificial lamb, son, it's you. It's gonna be real chaotic, son. You're gonna have to be courageous. To have courage in chaos, you don't just see Jesus, you see Jesus loving you. Even at 12 years old. The the prophet Isaiah prophesied about him like a sheep before shears, he remains silent. The father leads them around town. The next time you're here, they'll kill you. Look, Jesus, he's fully God, so he has this courage, he has this ability, but he's also fully human. He was prone to our feelings. And even Jesus surrendered control to the father and he accepted the adventure. And why? It's so that he can fulfill his promises to us. Now, Jesus has promised you is not that you would have control. Jesus does not promise control. Jesus didn't promise his earthly father, Joseph, control. He promises commitment. Jesus promises you commitment. This is what we see in Christmas. This is what Mary and Joseph saw. God so committed that God would enter the womb of a mother, be born vulnerable, fragile, like a baby to be held to take first steps, make first friends, to have successes, to be let down by others, to be betrayed, to have a great career and have people hate him for it, to be sold, to be put on trial, to be rejected, to be killed, but to rise from the dead. 
And I just have to think that when Mary and Joseph are sitting there looking at their baby for the very first time, if they really believed what God was telling them, there must've been a sense of peace, but not in the same way that oftentimes we sing in away in a manger, sing away in a manger. Let me say the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Oh, come on. He's a baby. It's probably screaming. It's probably crazy. It's probably chaotic. Mary, she's giving birth in somebody's old barn or their old shelter or their basement. We don't necessarily know exactly what it was. She must be screaming. We sing silent night, holy night. Audibly, it probably wasn't silent. But on a night where the power is going out and it gets quiet for just a moment, I am reminded that peace, real peace, doesn't come through the absence of trouble, through the absence of noise, but in the presence of Jesus. So tonight, as we close, I invite you to stand on up and I invite you to take out this candle that you got when you walked in. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. Our ushers will make sure that you get one. In John chapter one, verse five, it tells us that the light shines into the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. We hear that these days and we think, well, that's normal. Light in darkness wins out. But in every situation in all of history, darkness has won out. The chaos, the trouble won out. The power goes out. These lights will eventually go out. Every single light, every single candle that's ever been lit has gone out. Every single star that's ever been formed has gone out or is on its way out. But the Bible promises us that this light, this word of God, Jesus is shining into the darkness. And it's not that the darkness isn't there. It's that the darkness cannot extinguish him. He is different than any other light, than any other source of joy, than any other source of happiness, than any other source of peace. He can't go anywhere. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never extinguish it. So as we sing this song, ushers come on down and light your candles and they're going to share the light with those around us. And we'll sing this song and while it wasn't an audibly silent night, there must've been peace. The chaos, the trouble was already there. The chaos and the trouble was plenty ahead for Mary and Joseph. And yet there was peace. And there can be peace here for you tonight. What is it that you're walking into? What's the call? What are you scared of? What's the chaos? Where do you need courage? See Jesus loving you. Meet the one we never thought that we would meet. See the face of God and see how he loves you. See how he's not going anywhere. And know that his light is never extinguished by the darkness. Audibly, or maybe spiritually, it's not a silent night in your heart. And yet there's real peace because real peace is not found in the absence of trouble or chaos, but in the presence of Jesus. Do you want courage like Joseph had? Surrender control, accept the adventure and see Jesus loving you. Amen.